How many of you remember your dreams? Not necessarily all of you, all of them, but how many of you have times when you remember something you dream, you dreamt, and it can be very vivid for you? A few? Yeah. It's interesting, the Bible talks a lot about dreams. There's several things that take place within dreams in the Bible, and, and it's a different from a vision. You know, the vision is kind of a waking thing. The dream is that, that sort of halfway, you know, that, that it's hard to explain, you know, where you are when you're in a place of dreaming, but God speaks in, in the Christmas story. The obvious one is uh, Joseph, that God speaks to Joseph to try and get him to calm down when he's worried about what's going on with Mary uh, and, the, and the conception of Christ. I know in my dreams, I have pretty vivid dreams. Sometimes I remember them, sometimes I don't. But uh, there are times that I remember them quite vividly. There's probably only been a handful of times that I thought that there's any kind of deeper meaning to it than just, you know, uh, trying to, my brain trying to figure out uh, what's going on in my life. But sometimes I dream and it's in music. And I've shared with some of you this before that there are times that I have these dreams where there's just this music that's around me. And it's very beautiful. It's, it's kind of beyond description. And I'm in, in that dream, uh, it, it's hard to explain that whole, you know, what, what it's, the experience is like. But it's, 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 it's not just hearing it, but it's like being engulfed in it. But then when I wake up, it only takes a few seconds for that to, to drift away. Drift away even to the point where I can't even remember the tune. That sometimes I gra I'll grab my phone and I'll try and kind of hum, hum it or sing it. And it's never anywhere close to what was in the, in the dream. And then I listen to it in the morning. I'm like, wow, what was I thinking? <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's, it's a horrible. It's not even a tune. But it's kind of like you know, going from this you know, full, you know, beautiful picture of texture and, and angles and colors to, to that. Yeah, it's just, it's kind of there, but not really, you know. It doesn't really inspire a whole lot, whereas, you know, that inspires awe. This inspires, wow, that's a four-year-old doing a drawing. And that's kind of feels like when it goes out of it. And, and yet, when that, as that music fades, I'm not really left with a jealous wanting. I'm not left with a sense of sadness in the loss. There's a longing, though, and that's, this is, it's hard to explain. There's this longing to, I would love to be able to get back there. I would love to be able to express what I hear, what I heard, but I just can't. I can't even remember the tune most of the time. But I know it's there, and I look forward to kind of going back into that at some point. This very rarely happens. It's only happened a handful of times in my life, but when it does I kind of have this hope and this joy of knowing that I'll go back into that at some point. It's a longing for what might be. It's a longing for a beauty I glimpsed of, glimpsed, got a glimpse of, but I haven't been able to get my hands on. And what is that feeling? What do we call that? Well, one of the, the, ex, the ways that we describe joy, and the Bible kind of describes joy, is in this way. It's a longing for something. It reminds us that we're people of the soul. Joy is, uh, in, the, in the U.S., among the African-American community, there's this, they call, talk about soul music and soul food. And the soul food and soul music is really all about creating the heart, particularly within the African-American community, that longing for peace, that longing for justice, that longing for home, 
that longing for something beautiful that is kind of there, but just a little bit out of reach at the same time. C.S. Lewis, who is, who is probably best known for being the author of the Narnia series, some of you might have read those books. He also authored several books, which I think are much more significant, that uh, really dealt with issues within Christianity. One's called Mere Christianity, and if you've never read it, I'd really recommend you reading it. Not that you're going to agree with everything that he has to say. It's very rarely you're going to read a book that's outside of the scriptures, uh, that you're going to agree with everything he said. But he has some deep insights because he talks about very complex uh, spiritual issues with very simple uh, illustrations and language. And he had a gift for doing that. And uh, he, he wrote another book called Surprised by Joy. And in the book Surprised by Joy, he's describing his his journey from being an atheist, an academic who is an atheist, to becoming a person of faith. And, and if you don't know C.S. Lewis's story, uh, he, was, he was, yeah, he was an atheist. He decided he was going to do an a, uh, in-depth uh, kind of search of Jesus to prove that he was not, in fact, uh, the Messiah or Son of God or anything that the Bible has to explain, and came out on the other end of that, you know, a very deep believer. And again, one of the most influential guys in the 20th century English-speaking uh, world when it came to writing. And he said this about joy in his book, Surprised by Joy. He said, all joy reminds. It's never a possession. It's always a desire for something longer ago or further away or still about to be. It's kind of that glimpse of something beautiful, but you can't possess it. And it's not really something that's just built around your circumstances. It's, it's hard to explain unless you've kind of been there. That the, It's those times maybe you stand in awe of the mountain or you go to some place in nature. A lot of you uh, will often say, you know, you go to a time, of, a place of nature and you, you see this and there's just something within your soul that connects to the idea this is a creation. This isn't just some big happy accident, which we're sometimes here from from the, the academic world, which I don't have any, I love, the, I love academia and I, I love science, but I think sometimes we're not just built, well, not sometimes, we're not just built to be a, an analytical creature. We're built to also be a creature of soul. And there's a connection that comes, you know, we, when we were part of that creation and you just, you see how it all is coming together and that there's God is there and you're a part of that, a small part. And sometimes it's not a smallness that makes you feel insignificant. It's a smallness that allows you to find meaning in that you are part of something bigger. And yet within this huge canvas of God's creation, he knows you. You know, it's a very hard thing to get your, the words around joy. But that's kind of that feeling that we get in it. And the Psalms, the Psalms talks about it a lot. The third, you know, this third advent of Sunday Joy is the theme, and the Psalms talks a lot about joy. It talks about rejoicing, but it very rarely gets into like a philosophical definition of, of joy. It's all kind of around the experience, and the experience of being in the presence of God in worship, the experience of being in the presence of God in expectation for what's going to be in the future. It's this glimpse of the beautiful that keeps you motivated to know that there is going to be, there is and going to be, and there was something deeper for you to be a part of. Let's look at the Psalms, for example. David talked a lot about joy, because I think David was, King David was one of these guys, one, he was an emotional guy, 
But also he was one of these who longed for, to be in that presence of God and yet through his own actions and through the circumstances around him very often found himself struggling with that sense of joy. You know, he very famously writes in a different song, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. You know, those times when you're really there with God. And, and David goes through times when he's not feeling that. But here's one, a psalm that says, you know, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and holy arm have worked a salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and has revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. I think music is very oftentimes attached to joy. Because music, in a, in a way, kind of goes past our intellect and just right into our emotion and into our soul. It's not to say there isn't an intellectual aspect to it, but you know what I mean? Music just kind of goes, surpasses that. It's the beauty and the danger of music. Misused, it can also go right past your brain and into your soul and bring some darkness in there. So music is a powerful thing, and it's often related to joy in the Bible. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. In other words, it's okay to be loud. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound. And this is interesting how he sees creation. This is this kind of being in creation and seeing it respond and hearing it respond. Let the sea resound and everything in it, in the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people with equity. And again, Psalm 100, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who has made us, and we are his, and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So, of course, in the story of Christ, joy plays this big role. We hear about joy. We sing about joy. Joy to the world. You know, for the Lord has come. And it's this joy. We talked about it, you know, a few weeks ago when we talked about hope. I think there's a reason why Christ, the Messiah, comes as a baby. Not just to, to be within the entirety of what it means to have the human experience. But also because there is... Just like there's hope when there's an expectation that this child is, there's an expectation he's going to be more, he's going to be the Messiah, and more than just Messiah that dies for our sins, he's going to raise, be risen from the dead, prepare, he tells his disciples, tells us that essentially he prepares a place for us, his father has many rooms, his father's house has many rooms, there's an expectation there. Within the joy, you have the same thing. You have this glimpse of something that is going to be, something that's beautiful. It's also within the glimpse of the, of the child is the fulfillment of prophecies that were. There's that joy, and it's hard to get your hands around. But it's, it's interesting that it's the, the shepherds that very often we associate joy with because the shepherds were, as much as we romanticize the idea of the shepherds, shepherds were the bottom of the social scale. They were at the very, very bottom. There was no... It was no big uh, uh, career accomplishment to be a shepherd. 
And I don't mean that to be any offense to anyone here who maybe has been a shepherd or, or is, you know. And I don't say that kind of laughing because Cindy's from my wife. We still have people who are shepherds uh, in, southern, in southern Idaho and all that. But it was a tough job. It, was a, it wasn't a, a prestigious job. It was a lonely job in some ways. And, uh, and yet the angels appeared to him. And what do they receive? They receive this, this word of hope of an expectation, but they also received then this, this music, this song where the angels themselves express the, 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 the thing that was, that now has become and is going to be all at the same time. It says this, and they were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. <laughs> and the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. I mean, I, I, if there was ever a time when people caught a glimpse of the beauty that is in this thing that God's created called music, I mean, this would be the time. You know, to, to hear that heavenly choir. I can't imagine that there's anything that we can come up with as human beings that would be as beautiful as what comes pouring forth from these celestial beings that are within the presence of God all the time. You know, we talk about this. If you read the story where Gabriel appears to, to Mary, he makes this reference that gives you the sense, and it's definitely in the language, while he's appearing to Mary, he is also in the presence of God at the same time. He's, he's kind of in both places at once. He doesn't, the angels never, in a sense, leave God to come. They're always there. There's always this connection that's going on there. And with that connection, they pour forth this music. It just must have been amazing. And those of you who are musicians, you, know, you can appreciate the complexity and the beauty of music, and yet this is something that has probably never been written and never will be. It's something that we will be in the presence of in one day. But how powerfully moving that was. And what did, the, what did they do? The shepherds were so overwhelmed by it that they couldn't help but go see what this was about. But they did more than that. They also spread the word. It says, so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. I think there's a lot in that little verse. You know, there's a, there's a lot of depth. You know, these shepherds, again, I don't know what, what this necessarily was like in the time of Christ, but when Cindy and I lived in Lesotho, in the Peace Corps, there were shepherds. They were called herd boys. And, uh, and the herd boys, they, again, not the top of society at all. Sometimes a little bit odd because they lived very isolated in the mountains with these and with the herd boys, if they had came up to say anything to anyone, people weren't very often amazed by them. They were more like concerned because sometimes these kids, these young men who were herd boys, had kind of developed a social awkwardness by being so far from people all the time. And yet these shepherds come and they're amazed. They hear because 
there's something in, in what they have experienced that they can't help but flow into other people's lives. Their joy was infectious. It's like for some of you, when you were first a believer, I don't know about you, but for many of you, I'm sure you have this experience similar to mine. When I really understood what Jesus was all about and what he had done in my life, I could not help but try to explain to people I cared about that Jesus isn't about what you think he is. Is kind of, uh, at the time, I can say this since I'm a pastor, how boring church was and how I really didn't want to be there most of the time and how when I came to know Christ, all of a sudden, that thing which I found boring, boring became this thing that was like I couldn't get enough of it. You know, the Bible, I went from trying to read the Bible without Christ, it was like reading the dictionary, you know, because I had to go to the things and then read the Bible. And, I, and there was one time I said, I, you know, I want to just read the Bible, and I couldn't get through it, to being in a place where I could not get enough of it. And I've told you the story, I almost flunked out of university, because all I wanted to do my first year of university was read the Bible. And I did very poorly in university, but my Bible knowledge increased quite a bit. <laughs> Unfortunately, I was not in a Bible college. <laughs> I was studying engineering at the time. Yeah, that didn't last. But Christ lasted. And I remember talking to my friends about it. I remember trying to communicate with them this, this joy. And it was very hard for me to express. Just like right now, this is probably the hardest concept. Hope, love, peace. Those are easier concepts to talk about than joy. Because joy is kind of this felt thing. It's not really a philosophical thing. And one of my best friends, well, my best friend at the time, you know, my friend saw I just had lost my mind. And uh, they were a bit put off because I have to admit, I, I didn't really approach them with a lot of, uh, I had a lot of zeal, not a lot of wisdom. And I just approached them with like, you got to have the same thing that I have. This is awesome. Come to know Jesus. And if you've ever been on the other side of that, and I've been on the other side of that without the Spirit, those words don't necessarily compel you to know Jesus, you know? But it's hard to really get across in words. And one of my best friends said, uh, you'll be over this in six months. And uh, that's been a long six months. Yeah, it's been well over 30 years now. But that's joy. And many of us equate what we understand about joy with our relationship with Christ. In fact, as I told you, that book, Surprised by Joy, it's his, you know, C.S. Lewis is describing his journey of faith, and that's one of the things that draws him to Christ. He is, he is surprised by this, this joyful longing that the Spirit of God brings into his life that, that really just changes his whole perspective of life. And it doesn't mean that things become easy. It doesn't mean that things become, you know, trouble-free. But joy extends beyond the circumstances of happiness. He said this about it. He said, joy is distinct not only from pleasure in general, but even from aesthetic pleasure. It must have the stab, the pang, the inconsolable longing. It's that beautiful thing that you know is there for you, but it's just beyond the horizon. And it keeps you moving forward. It keeps you in that place of hope. It keeps you in that place of trust. I intentionally put this together. C.S. Lewis, that's his... His word and, uh, and the picture there comes from one of C.S. Lewis's very good friends. And they used to hang out and discuss their works together, which was J.R.R. Tolkien. And Tolkien also has this same sense. He always talks about, you know, and if you read the books, the longing for the white shores, that place that is there, but it's just beyond. And you know it's there. 
They're calling, but it's just beyond. And it's not, a, again, it's not a sense of feeling left out. It's not a sense of, I don't have something that I want. You very, it's a sense of being present, and yet, at the same time, something more. It's really difficult to wrap your head around joy. But it's with joy that many of us realize that the sin in our life, the sins that we knew of, those, those sins that we can't name, they've been defeated by the power of darkness. And when you're in that place of true joy, you can relax into that and say, okay, I know I have been forgiven. I know that the darkness, and I can't even put my, my words together to explain, it's been defeated by Christ. It's those things that, that leaves you sometimes wonderfully confused, that you are for sure, you know for sure the presence of God, and yet you would have some skeptic look in your life and say, where's the proof? And by your joy, you're like, man, all I can tell you is the proof is I'm a different person. What was is not the person you see today. My friends in high school whom, uh, you know, good, good friends, my buddies got me through a lot of stuff. But the Jeff they knew isn't the Jeff you know. And they are still a bit confused after 30-some years. What the heck happened to you? Because to them, it was like that. And in a certain way, it was like that. Completely different. Completely different expectations. Completely different wants. I went from someone aimless and wandering to someone that knew their life direction. Didn't know the specifics, but I knew my direction was going to be that way. It's like the, the, the North Star. Don't know exactly what I'm going to run into, but I know I'm going that way. And it's those times of joy, too, that, you know, when we struggle in our faith, it's the joy that gets us through it. It's the joy of knowing that even when those waves seem fearsome and they're going to overcome us, the joy gives us that glimpse of the shore. The joy tells us there is this place you're going to. There is an expectation. There is something that has been. There's something that is. There's something that will be. And it's yours. It's yours. So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. When Paul wrote that, he was writing it in the context of two women that were very helpful to him in ministry, named Utica and Schenectady. And they were fighting with each other. There's conflict in the church. What? That never happens. Yeah, even in the beginning. And they were fighting with each other. And in their conflict, they were losing sight of who Christ was to them. And the storms of conflict were around them. And so when Paul writes that, and we talked about this last week, he says that he doesn't say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. No, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Because he wants them to get their eyes off of each other and off of the storms to get back on the place that is their hope. Remember the joy of God's salvation. That's what David did when he was in the midst of dealing with the sin in his life. And the revelation of the sin in his life, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and create a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart is that where that song comes from. But one of the things we have to be aware of and the thing that's essential to joy is Christ. You can't really have joy without having Christ. And I think this is part of the reason why for many of us, the holiday season, the Christmas season, and for me, even Easter, is 
a time that I want to celebrate, but I wish I could celebrate in the way that my heart longs to celebrate. I've never really been able to celebrate Christmas or Easter in the way that my soul would love to celebrate. And you say, well, what is it? What do you mean? I don't know. There's something there, though, that is always kind of missing. And I think part of it, with Christmas anyways, is that Christmas is, is, is kind of everybody's, you know, be a believer or not believer in Europe, in the Western world anyway, and much of Africa and Asia. The Muslim countries probably not so much, but it's there for everybody, but it's not there for the same reason for everybody. You know, we talk about, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season and all stuff like that. But that's, you know, that's relatively small group of people that that's really what Christmas is about. And there's something a bit... Have you, well, have you ever, like, gone to, like, uh, like, the bakery? I have a sweet tooth. And sometimes, you know, I try and avoid it because, you know, I don't want to be enormous. If I could eat and not gain weight, oh, my goodness. Thank you, Jesus. But anyways, that's not a possibility. But you ever, you ever look at something, oh, man, that looks good. That looks really good. And you're like, okay, I'm going to go in there and... and and then you eat it, and you're like, wow, that wasn't all that great. It looked a lot better than it really was. And then you're kind of disappointed, because you know, I know that thing had a ton of calories in it, so I'm going to pay the price, but it wasn't that great. I think that's kind of what we do a lot of times with Christmas. We wrap it up, we make it look beautiful, but if there isn't Christ in a very deep, in a, in a way that's just like joy, difficult to explain but you know it when you see it kind of thing. You know it when you're in it. You can wrap pretty paper around it. You can put lights on it. You can do everything around it to make it. Like you can sing songs. You can have glue wine. You can have all kinds of good stuff. But if Christ isn't in there, at the end of the day, it's a little bit empty. It's, and, and in fact, it's more than a little bit empty. It's disappointing. It's like, this thing looked really good to eat. And then it's like, eh. Christmas without Christ looks like a lot of fun, looks beautiful, but without Christ, it's kind of meh. Am I the only one that feels that way, or do you feel that way too? And Easter's kind of the same thing, you know, when Easter's just about bunnies and eggs and candy and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, wow, it looks like a lot of fun, but without Christ, it's just kind of meh. And I think this is often what happens with joyless Christians. When, you, when Christ goes out of our, our center of our soul, for whatever reason, usually because of sin, uh, sometimes though it's just neglect of our relationship, but we start to be some joyless in our faith. You know, we, we come and we sing songs, and the songs should be lifting up our souls, but they're not. And we listen to a sermon that should inspire us, but it doesn't. And we have a tendency to blame the, the, the service for not touching me, but oftentimes it's not touching you because there's nothing there for you to be touched. There's no Christ. Christ is kind of walked away. Actually, Christ didn't walk away. We walked away. God doesn't desert us, but sometimes we desert God. We say, I'm going to go that way for a while. And Jesus is like, you shouldn't. Yeah, I'm going to. Well, let me know when you want to come back. And when we go on those places, we don't have joy. And sometimes you've been in churches that don't have joy. And it's hard to put your finger on it. Why is this joyless? But we've all been there, right? You've probably been to churches. You're just like, there's just no joy. Legalism very often will overcome joy. 
But it's not the only reason why. And it's hard to say why. Why are some places joyless? Why are some people joyless? Well, it's the lack of, it's the absence of Christ. Why is Christ absent? Well, there's no simple answer for that other than he is present. It's just there's something about us getting back into contact. Restore unto me the joy. You know, that's a prayer that we maybe need to be willing to pray more often as individuals. And as a church, if you're in that place where you just have, you're here because you're hoping to be inspired, but you're not getting it, why? Restore unto me the joy, Lord, because it's gone for whatever reason. And that's really the way back. You know, when we're in that place of joylessness, which does happen, it happens to everyone. It happens to me. You think, you know, when you're feeling joyless and uh, you don't necessarily want to be uh, around a bunch of people that are all happy in Jesus, you, get to, you can just say, I'm not going to show up that weekend unless you're signed up for something. I got to come. And I got to, I don't want to say pretend, but I have to be able to function within, my lack, within that place of depression or joylessness. And I can tell you, sometimes it's hard. And sometimes you probably pick it up that, you know, he's kind of not just going through the motions. I always try and do a good job because I'm trying to, uh, it's an offering of mind to God. But I think you can tell. Sometimes he's there. Sometimes he's somewhere else. And it's difficult. But the way back is the same for all of us, no matter who we are. Be you a pastor, be you not a pastor, be you working in a, as a teacher or a nurse or whatever it is that you do, engineer, you know, bankers. The way back is the same for everyone, and it's Christ. And Jesus says this. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. It's interesting that he talks about remain in there, dwell in there. You know, in the Bible, I'm going to chase a little rabbit here because this is 1115 service and there's no one waiting to get in. In the Bible, there's a, you know, when we talk about uh, in the creation, God rested on the seventh day. Really, the idea behind that isn't that God needed to take a break because he was tired. And I think most of us know that. So what do they mean when they say rest? Well, it's the idea that he is settling in. He's taking up residency within his creation. It's his you know, when you move in, you have the boxes, you need to unpack the boxes, you get your furniture in place, and you just kind of settle in, you nest. That's kind of what God is doing. That's really what that picture is. On the seventh day, he indwells his creation, he settles in, and then he's in relationship with Adam and with Eve, and he's there, presence is there in the garden. It's the same when the Spirit of God would come into the temple. It would come in, and they would say his Spirit is resting in the temple or dwelling in the temple. It's this idea of settling in. That this is, this is the place from which I'm going to operate. And that's what, when Jesus says this, when he says, uh, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. He wants you to settle into that. This is, this is how you function. You function within the love of God. You function in how you talk with people. You function how you, how you try and work with people. And it doesn't mean that there's, for us, that there's no things that bump us out of that, because sin is just a part of being in a fallen world, but we settle into this. This is also what it means when Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, and we use this language like this, be a part of me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Settling into that, making him the context 
from which you function. And also as a church body, then we also become the place God settles in. And he functions also through us. It's a profound thing, really. He says, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. So what is he saying there? He's saying, well, if you settle into what I expect and you follow me, then you will be in that place that I want you to be. And you will remain in my love. It's not about some legalistic, you have to check off these boxes or else you're going to get tossed out. He said, no, you remain in my, if you obey my commands, you're obeying like the, the temple rules in a sense. You're settling in. You're, this is the context in which you're working through. And what is Christ's command? The new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, the whole world will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Settling into who he is, his character, growing in him, the fruits of the Spirit. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's command and remain in his love. That's Jesus said that, right? I, there's nothing that I do on my own. I only do what the Father has shown me. He talks about his relationship with the Father is not one where he's in consulting with the Father. He just, him and the Father are one. And so he settles into the, the, the way that God the Father is working, the plan of God. Jesus settles into that. We see it in his baptism. His baptism by, the apostle, by the, uh, John the Baptist, when Jesus says, when John's like, why am I baptizing you? You should baptize me. And Jesus says, I'm doing this to fulfill all righteousness, to settle in to the, the plan of God, the stream of God, that he is going to be a part of this plan because he's also the originator of the plan. You know, there's a lot of complexity in who Jesus is in order to reach this fulfillment, a fulfillment which no one was expecting, not even John the Baptist. Remember, he sent out his disciples and they said to say, are you the guy? And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm the guy. Go back to John and tell him what you're seeing. Did I lose you guys there? Sorry if I did. And then he says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. So you're settled. My joy is in you and that your joy may be complete. Because aside from Christ, all the joy we have is really not joy. It's temporary. Aside from Christ, there's nothing that, that there may be the was, there may be the now, but there really is nothing to look forward to for the tomorrow. If you want that joy to be complete, you have to be settled in to who, what God has promised, what God has done, what God will, will do. And you, as a believer in Christ, have your destiny tied to the destiny of Christ, which is the whole picture behind baptism. You know, we, death to self, life in Christ, that picture of being dying and growing and raising in him, it's that joining your destiny with the destiny of Christ. And in that, you should have joy. Because the destiny of Christ has already been revealed to us. The victor over sin and death. Ascended into the very presence of the Father. Going to come back. That's your destiny too. It's your destiny because it's his destiny. It's your destiny that you'll be in a place where in the beginning, God settled into his creation and walked in the garden with Adam and Eve and he was among humanity and then sin broke that. In the end, in the book of Revelation... We are again in this place of this presence of God. There's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. The new heaven. The new earth. God settles into this city of God now. The tree of life is back. And he dwells with us. And there is no more tears. And that is your destiny. That should give you joy. So I pray that as you go on through this Christmas season to 
to be aware that, you know, where we are at in history, we're kind of in this place where we see the prophecies of the Old Testament fulfilled in Christ, and now we know that there is something to come, and we're in this in-between stage. Some of you who are dispensationalists, uh, this would be considered the church age that we are in right now, where there is this expectation of something that is yet to come. And in that is your joy. Because Christ has seen fit to have you be part of that. And if you're here today and you don't have that joy, then just pray the simple prayer of David. Create me a clean heart, O Lord. And don't remove your spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit in me. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for, you know, who you are and the complexity of who you are and the beauty within that. And Lord, we pray that we would be the people of joy because during this time when we celebrate, you know, your, your incarnation, your coming among us, the advent, we recognize that we live in a world where really it's a minority of the people that... that have you at the center of that, or even desire to have you at the center of that, and even know that you should be the center of that. And Lord, we don't want to, we don't say that like, oh, look at us, we're all better, but it's more that place of the hollowness. And Lord, help us to be a people that can fill, or at least present into the lives of those that don't have a joy and a hope and an expectation and a peace that is of you especially during this year where there is, in Europe anyways, a lot of turmoil going on. And we pray especially for our brothers and sisters who are here in the service today, who are from the Ukraine and who, are, who have undergone tremendous loss and who are in places of, of uh, just knowing that their, their homeland is in turmoil. Lord, we pray that that joy that can pass understanding, that, that peace that passes understanding and knowing that our hope isn't in the temporary, but it's in who you are. And you proved that you are over the temporary when you rose from the dead. You even showed us that death, which seems so final, is temporary. For those who are in you, that temporariness is a wonderful thing. For those not in you, it's a horrible thing. But death is temporary. And Lord, we want to be in that place of being able to Rejoice in that because you call us to rejoice, but also, Lord, to share with others the true meaning of what you gave us and continue to give us in our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.